So I want to talk this morning about uh, relationship as practice. And by relationship, I'm meaning any kind of relationship. Not just talking about intimate relationship or marriage or partnership, but really um, any kind of relationship from the, uh, and actually in the long run, from a relationship of two people, which is what I'm primarily going to focus on today, uh, but it could extend all the way to being in a family, being in a group, being in a community, being in a workplace, being in a society, and I think it also can extend to being with non-humans. We'll start with the humans. <laughs> and. I'm particularly inspired with this topic because I've just come from, um, we had a five-day retreat for the Spirit Rock teachers that just finished on Sunday. And we worked with um, a teacher named Hamid Ali, some of you know, who is the developer of the Diamond Heart approach and uh, one of the really powerful ways of connecting psychological and spiritual work. and. Our theme was really connecting our mm, mindfulness practice, our meditation practice, with relationships. So I'm, it's something that I, you know, I've explored personally a lot. I've actually published a few um, articles on the theme in the past. But I wanted to, to focus on that. And my hope is that this can be a theme that, if there's interest, and I'll check at the end, but I, if there's interest, I'd love to actually ha- uh, look at it for several times, because it's, it's a very powerful area. And I'll try to say a little bit more what I mean by that. Um, so relationship as practice, or relationship as spiritual practice, meaning how do we take our being with others in any of these kind of situations, whether it's intimate relationship, friendship, or group, or workplace, or whatever, how do we take that uh, as continuous with our mindfulness practice, with our meditation, and also not just continuous, but also possibly, uh, and not in a, set, in a way just the application. You know, we do the real work in the inner meditation and then we apply it as best we can in our lives. And that's important, but it, there are also ways in which the relationship can be actually a fundamental locus of practice. And there are actually practices that we can do that I think approach some of the um, depth of um, our meditation practice. And I think those of us who look at really close relationships know that there can be tremendous depth. You know, and, uh, but what I'd like to suggest is that it can be a place where we look at the issues of freedom, liberation, the opening of the heart, and so forth, the opening of the mind, and look at it in those areas. So this morning I'd like to give a kind of beginning uh, approach to that whole area. And I hope uh, to be able to pursue it in different ways and have this be really connected with some practices that we do at the end of the morning, um, some, some one-on-one practices that we do, and also in a way that we can uh, have a sense of taking home and into our lives in the, in the period between our meetings some, some ways of ex- continuing to explore the territory. 
So that's my hope. And I actually want to speak somewhat briefly so that we can have time for uh, some exercises together. So in a way, we sometimes get the message that the core of this approach to mindfulness and opening the heart is something that we do especially individually and um, by ourselves, even if it's in the context of a community. But that there's somehow that this is kind of an inner practice that we do uh, relatively in solitude. And there's certainly a basis for that in the Buddhist tradition, that there's a tremendous valuing of solitude and, in fact, even in the um, traditions of India and Southeast Asia, most of the meditation actually doesn't go on in groups. It goes on individually. And if you go to a monastery in Thailand, even in a monastery, people do most of their practice um, typically in a cabin, a little kuti is, is the word in, in Thai, that they have. And they meet some for talking together, but most of the practice is individual in solitude. That actually changed when Buddhism went to uh, China. And the, I think the community emphasis that we find in China and that actually we find also in, in Japan and in um, northern and uh, eastern Asia, there became, there, that's where we get the, um, the group practice. That's where we get the sitting in groups. That comes out of those traditions. It doesn't, you don't find that in the teachings of the Buddha actually. It's interesting. We also get Zafus from China. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Gratitude. <laughs> and, um, and so there is this, there is this uh, tradition of solitude. Interestingly though, in a way, we take time in solitude, but we, what do we actually learn in solitude? We learn about connection. It's interesting that in the practice of the Buddha or in the, in the meditation practice that, that uh, we do, we may spend a lot of time, you know, when we do long retreats, even without speaking, but, but somewhat paradoxically, we open up to connection and we open up to the limits of the conventional self and who we think we are. And we develop much more of a sense on, on many, many levels of uh, connection. So it's paradoxical. We learn in solitude that we're connected. You know? and, um, and this is you know, maybe more obvious when we do loving-kindness practice. And a lot of the loving-kindness practice is, of course, with, with others. Or with, we, you know, we read, if we read the text, we can see that they, the uh, practitioners of the time of the Buddha they were doing loving-kindness sitting by themselves, but they were extending this energy field outward and it says one league, two leagues, four leagues, 16 leagues. And imagine these circles of radiating energy from all these people doing metta in the forest. You know, so there's, there's a sense of connection there. And there's a beautiful passage I wanted to read, which, is of, uh, which I think is, kind of signifies this. And it talks about... It, it talks about how at the highest level of development there's a profound sense of connection. And this is the story of uh, one, of the, um, one of the monks who was quite highly developed and taken to be an arhat, which was in, in, is the highest level of development. Uh, 
a monk named Anuruddha. He was, the Buddha came to visit, and I think the Buddha basically said, how are you doing? You know, and he basically also said, how's your practice? And he was living in the forest near some other monks, and this is what he said. Um, he basically, he talked about how he no longer, his, his mind was in, interfused with the, with the minds of the other monks. You know, and this is what he said, Buddha, or O oh Buddha, having surrendered my own citta, which means uh, basically what we would call mind and heart, I am living only accordance with the minds and hearts of these venerable ones. Lord, we have diverse bodies, but assuredly have only one mind and heart. And we find those kind of passages in other places. For us, however, in the West, I think, we've often taken this practice to be something that is really about developing our inner lives. And we sit and we often do interpret this in, uh, as something that we do, especially on our own, to grow, to learn, to come closer towards self-realization or self-actualization. And we, I think in the West, we've often interpreted meditation especially in, I think, in our communities, as something that we do with the support of others, but primarily on our own. You know, we do the meditation on our own, we sit quietly and, and so forth. And I think this has a tremendous value in the cultural context, because when we look, we can look historically and see that in a way the contemplative dimension or the inner dimension has really been um, in some ways lost or made subterranean in, Western, in large parts of Western culture in the last four or five hundred years. You know, that the, you know, the contemplative dimension of Christianity is fairly margin, has been fairly marginalized. So you wouldn't have found it in your churches. Same thing with uh, the synagogues. You, you, the contemplative dimensions have been fairly marginalized. The world um, of the last hundred years has been very directed towards the external towards science, towards technology, and so forth. And I remember these uh, passages in some of the Western philosophers who were basically remarking on this. I remember a passage from Nietzsche writing about 1880, and he said, we men, of, we men of science and knowledge, and I think he was using men, literally, primarily meaning men, you know, males, uh, even. Um, and he said, we men of knowledge, we don't know ourselves. You know, we men of science and knowledge, we do not know ourselves. And he was very, very direct about that. And it was, we could say that, that was, there, wasn't, there wasn't much of an inner dimension. You know, and it was people, and that's gradually been opened up in the West by, you know, we could interpret Freud and that whole emphasis as a refocusing on the inner life. Dreams, they might be significant. Duh. You know, we could say from the context of, thousands of years of world culture, we could say, duh, <laughs> you know, but in the, context <laughs> of the, in the context of the 20th century, big discovery, <laughs> you know, and so there's this, so when we, when we go into meditation, it has this very profound way of, of helping to bring inner knowledge to this culture, you know, and really discover, oh, this is how the mind works, oh, there is an inner dimension. And, and yet, uh, I think that we may be at a place 
where we can also uh, bring that, what we've developed in the inner practice, to looking more in a, um, in a systematic and deep way to the question of what, um, what relationship as practice means. So I'm, I'm giving a little bit of this context. And I think in our, in our culture, even though there are resources in Buddhist tradition for really focusing on speech, on community, on sangha, on ethics, which is about you know, the kind of guidelines for interaction, we've really had a strong focus on meditation, I think, and, uh, and on, on looking within. I, I remember uh, Gary Snyder, uh, the poet and pioneer of bringing Zen into this country, he once said that we talk about the three jewels of Buddhism, which are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, you know, the, the possibility of awakening the core teachings, the Dharma, and Sangha, he said, of those in this culture, community is least developed. Community is least developed, he said. And I think it's even, uh, even more so in the Vipassana community as compared to Zen, because they do have Zen centers and so forth, and we don't even have that many um, centers which are the equivalent of churches. We have Spirit Rock, but we don't have that many, you know. You know in, uh, we don't have the equivalent exactly of a residential center. You know, we're just beginning to get buildings. <laughs> you know, so we're a little bit, this is our learning curve, we might say. And so uh, I think it really is helpful to ask the question of how can relationships be brought in a more focused way and connected with this uh, wonderful training that we've had in mindfulness and loving kindness and so forth. I remember uh, some of you know Stephen Levine, who has been a Vipassana teacher, but he's also get, he wrote a book, uh, which I think I brought here, where is it, um, called Embracing the Beloved, Relationship as a Path of Awakening, which is, a, which is a nice book. And he said he thought that relationship will be the yoga of the West, he said. He said that he thought that it might actually be the most central practice that we do. And yet if we, if we wanted to ask ourselves, well, how do we do that? we might not get a really clear response. You know, we could try our best, but we, do we have... So I think what, what's happening at this time, it's a very, very creative period. I, I believe that we are um, in the midst of exploring what relationship, and again, every kind of relationship, not just uh, intimate relationship, how that might be a part of our practice, how that might be more connected. So I think what I'd like to do uh, for the rest of the time is to, to, is to remind us of some of the resources that we have for having our relationships be really connected with our mindfulness and with our practice. And it's almost like a kind of, and it's reminding us also of some of the resources that we do have from Buddhist tradition, because I think in many ways some of them have been neglected if I had to be quite honest. I think the you know, community has been relatively neglected, again, for good reasons. It's really important to focus on the inner work. So I was thinking of a few different areas that um, we can really look at that I think are like the fundamental tools or capacities that we get from Buddhist tradition for working with relationship as practice. And then beyond that, I think this may be what we'll explore in future times. 
I think there are other ways that we can actually take those and develop practices and make this and kind of compare notes and share what we're exploring. But there are a lot of things, a lot of very basic resources that I think are important for if we want to take our meditation and bring it into the rest of our lives. And there, there's uh, one of my favorite uh, quotations is from actually from Gary Snyder's Zen teacher, named, a Japanese teacher named Odo Sesho Roshi. He, sa- he said this, in Zen, there are only two things. We could say this in, medita- in, our, in our spiritual practice, there are only two things. He said, you sit and you sweep the garden. Then he added, it doesn't matter how big the garden is. So you get that? So you sit and you sweep the garden. So in that model, we meditate, we do our inner work, and then we sweep the garden. And sweeping the garden means what? Being in our families, action, helping the society be better, working, um, talking to the trees, and so forth. So we, we, in Zen, there are only two things. You sit and you sweep the garden. It doesn't matter how big the garden is. So I love that because it's, it tells me that there's, there's a big vision. There's a big vision. And so um, first is, I think, if, that if we really want to um, look at our relationships as a field of practice, we really need to have a significant amount of mindfulness. And that's what we practice here. We cultivate mindfulness that in my experience, and some of this I explored in my, my book. There are a lot of passages on speech as practice and the development of, of mindfulness when we're, when we're with another person. But I think if we're, if we're really talking about being with another, let's, let's just think for the time being of the very fundamental unit of two people relating to each other. And we can see how that becomes a model then for taking it out into family and work and, more com- and groups and more complex relationships. But let's say you have the, 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 the model of two people talking to each other. Okay. <laughs> you know, we have two, two people yapping and being with each other. If, if those people want to have their relationship as practice, what are they going to need? And that's what I want to talk about the rest of the time. What, are they, what, what resources, what capacities are going to be helpful? It's kind of a checklist. You, know, you want to do relationships as practice, check off these, this list. Okay. So number one, they have to have some mindfulness. In other words, they have to have the ability not to be an automatic pilot. They have to be, have the ability to be mindful both of the other and mindful of themselves. Sounds simple. In practice, pretty hard. Right? Because what happens when we're with others? We, we often um, are either on automatic pilot, and in our culture, automatic pilot means primarily being external, right? primarily being focused outside. And so part of what I would invite us to explore is how can I, in my being with others, actually carry some inner attention? And we'll, we'll practice this in a little while, just with, 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 with um, do an experiment together. But how can, we, how can we have that mindfulness inside and outside? And of course, when we get triggered by anything, or we don't like something, or we go, we, we go into our patterns, right? And we're often not mindful of them. So this first capacity 
to be mindful inside and to be mindful outside. And increasingly to be able to do that at the same time is a major capacity and it's something that we train for when we sit here. When we just sit for 45 minutes, we are training to be able to be aware of how our minds, our hearts, our bodies work. And so that when we go, as it were, into action, we can notice, oh, oh, there's that mind uh, tendency I noticed uh, when I was sitting at Spirit Rock. You know, there's, oh, I'm, I'm going into complaining about my boss again. I'm doing it while my boss is right here, but I'm not going to mention a word of it, but I'm doing it, you know. And we, so basically we track, the, um, we track what's there in an inner way. We also can, and there's a lot more to be said here, but we really develop that capacity to be aware of our emotions, to be aware of our thought patterns, to be aware of our bodies, and to increasingly be able to carry that quality of presence into our interaction, in this case with one other person, in terms of this model. Then we can also listen externally, meaning I can listen to the other person and not be rehearsing what I'm going to be saying. And sadly, so many relationships, if we had that model of two people, there'd be two people each in their own, as it were, in their own mind streams without listening, either inside or outside. Both, you know, I mean, this is sad. I remember there was some kind of... uh, I think there used to be called the theater of the absurd, where they would actually have these theater pieces which show like two people um, basically talking as if there's no communication whatsoever and they're each in their own minds and worlds. And unfortunately, a lot is still like that. And so we developed the capacity to listen. Huge capacity. You know, so valuable. So valuable for the difficult material we're talking. A second... Large capacity is something we looked at um, in the last months, which is the capacity to inquire, that we actually become curious about what's going on. So if we're interested in relationship as spiritual practice, we want to really inquire into what's there. We want to be curious. We want to say, okay, how do I do this? What are my patterns? What are my tendencies? We want to be able to look. We can go to work and have a little notepad where we take notes on how we've been, you know, and that we really can uh, study ourselves, that we, that, that it's almost like we are um, scientists of our own nature, really wanting to study and see more clearly. A third capacity is the quality of care, of loving kindness. And so when we develop that quality of care and compassion more, tremendous resource for being with others. You know, for it really helps us, the mindfulness is a little more focused on the, on the cognitive, we might say, and we have to also have that ability to be present to our hearts. And of course, we all have that as natural gifts, but with the metta practice, we enhance it, we develop it further. And we can also do that on the spot if we're being with someone who's in difficulty, we can actually do inner practices that bring compassion, as we do at the end of our sitting, in a way. You know? And so, again, I'm naming these. Each of them could be, could be talked about at length. We also can develop the fourth quality, is the ability to work with intention. Really, really crucial, and we talk about it a lot here, the ability to actually 
go into a situation and say, I will intend to be mindful here, or I will intend to really look carefully at what's happening in that situation. And the ability to uh, bring intention and really remember what we want to do and remember that I want to be mindful in this situation or remember that I want to uh, have both inner and outer attention is going to be also a crucial um, capacity. It's really to take our, our good intentions and make them, make them real, bring them, into, bring them into play. And I'll mention two others and then we'll, then we'll do an exercise. Um, a fifth is having the container of, of ethics, of having, because for all of this, what really permits us to explore and what really permits a relationship to be a place where we explore and study and deepen is that it's held within a container of safety. Crucial dimension. You know, and I think sometimes we take it for granted. But we always, when we start retreats, we always bring in that container. We always bring in, remind us that we're all agreeing to be ethical. And, and in our context, that means to essentially to do different, to follow different guidelines which are about non-harming. It's really to commit to non-harming. And so this is another reminder that if we want to take relationships to spiritual practice, we, I think we have to have that ethical commitment. And the five most basic, basic ethical guidelines are about not harming physically, either ourselves or others, uh, not taking that which is not given, and being very careful with the energies of sexuality, speech, and what are called intoxicants or substances which shift consciousness. And so that ethical commitment becomes a foundation. So we're going we're to end up having six guidelines, you know, and you can write them down and put them on your dashboard and bring them to work, you know, and have them on your desk at meetings saying, okay, these are my six guidelines for, for my exploring relationship as practice. And the last one is the basic uh, wisdom teachings. It's the reminder of the core teachings about what causes freedom and what causes suffering. It's really helpful to really keep those close by. You know, for us, they're the teachings, uh, one fundamental expression is the Four Noble Truths, which say that there is suffering, that the cause of suffering is a kind of compulsive uh, grasping or pushing away, some kind of way that we're caught in what we were talking about earlier, this grabbing for the pleasant and pushing away the unpleasant, and that, 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 um, and that we can study that. We can study how we can find those roots when we look at suffering, when we look at our own suffering or the suffering of others, and that some kind of peace with basically with what is, is possible. That peace with what is can coexist with a peaceful <coughs> ability to be with, that, with what is, and desire to change it. <laughs> so I'm not this, this third truth of being, ab- the pe- being able to be at peace with what is can coexist with saying, I'm at peace with it, but it, I, it's wise to change it. You know, I think that's true whether it's something personal or something social. And then there's the Eightfold Path, which gives us these tools to, to uh, bring about the movement towards freedom. So there's this this wisdom teaching is, is the sixth element I'm going to name as something really crucial. And I apologize if this is a little bit 
condensed, because it is. But I, I'm kind of wanting to name this checklist, because I won't be here for two weeks. And if you want to go out into the world and do this, we've got to have a fairly good initial checklist. Or I would feel responsible. So, oh, you forgot about wisdom. I went out and did the first five, but I forgot about wisdom. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, um, and we can, we can talk about those those six, but that's a good initial, those are some very basic resources that we get very clearly from Buddhist tradition, and I'm going to suggest that those are a wonderful starting point and a place we can develop, and that there, uh, in, the, in other weeks, if we want to explore those, that there are other ways to even deepen that field of uh, practice. So what I'd like to invite us to do, yeah, do you have a, just a question of clarification? Do the the six. Okay. The first is mindfulness, and particularly the uh, ability to have both inner and outer mindfulness in the context of relationship at the same time. A, very, a challenging uh, capacity, and I think we might see ourselves as developing that. But what I want to do is see, let us explore and see how, how possible that is. The second is inquiry. It's that curiosity. They're really wanting to look more deeply. The third are the heart practices, particularly metta, bringing that heart connection to the relationship. The fourth, working with intention. The fifth, ethics, ethical guidelines. And the sixth, the, the basic wisdom teachings. What were the four noble truths? Suffering. <laughs> that, yeah, that there is suffering. That suffering has roots in compulsive grasping, or pushing away, and the compulsive is the key key term there, and that and the third is that peace is possible, that a deep inner peace is possible, and the fourth is the uh, the practical path to get there called the eightfold path, which I I won't go into uh, detail on that, and there you know in some of the basic books, in I should give out my core reading list uh, maybe again recently because in we can, in some of the books like Seeking the Heart of Wisdom, or they're, they're really nice expositions of that. So let me invite, I'll do an exercise briefly. Let's do, um, let's just do a very, like a one-minute reflection now, and then we'll, do, then we'll move to a dyad. And the reflection is this. How might I... have my relationships, and we might want to just think of one, it could be work or partnership or family, how might I develop further my relationships as continuous with my meditation practice? How might I develop further my relationship, or to make it brief, I would say, how, how, might, we, how might I develop further my relationships as spiritual practice. And have it be very personal. Is that question clear enough?
can leave the uh, you can leave it on. Yeah, let's leave it on. Let's let's find uh, a partner. Everyone, and and bring yourself in physical proximity to that partner, <laughs> right now. And you can introduce yourself. Anyone raise your hand if you need a partner? There, here we, here we go. Yeah. And introduce yourself. And in your group, we'll basically have a chance for each person to talk for five minutes. And the other person listen. And between you, work out who's going to go first. And raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're going first. Every every group should have someone raising a hand. Okay, everyone got it. Okay. So what I'd like you to do is to we're going to focus on two things as we talk. The first is the content, the content of what the person's talking about, and the, what I'll ask you to talk about is is exactly what you talked uh, thought about in the reflection. How might I develop my relationships uh, as spiritual practice? And the, the degree to which you reveal something about yourself is up to you. So there's no pressure to, be, to reveal things that you feel uncomfortable with. You, know, you can really choose your own level of disclosure. Okay? No, no pressure there. And um, so we want to focus partly on the content but also a little bit on the process. And so if, if, you're, if you're a listener, see if you can notice both the ability to notice yourself and to listen to the person. See if, if both of you can have some inner attention and some outer attention at the same time. And just do your best on that. And just, if you can, just try to notice, try to almost like have two little radar screens out. One, listening to the content, and one just noticing anything that you notice about the process, both inside and outside. That's pretty general, but is that, is that clear? So you might notice that we, you know, we, um, I, paid a li- I could pay a little bit of attention to my inside, and I noticed that we, you know, basically that we were really, um, things flowed well. That would be an example of paying attention to the process, or, or that you know, it felt awkward. That would be, so just uh, pay a little bit of attention to the process. And paying attention doesn't mean um, doing anything with it. It's just noticing. You're not going to have to talk about it with your partner. We'll, but we'll talk about a little bit at the group. Is, is that pretty, pretty clear? Actually, we may, we may talk a little bit about it. So. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Everyone clear? So just take, take a moment to set your intention about how you'll be. And what it will do, actually I'll do it because of time. I'll do it for four minutes. Each person will have four minutes to talk. The listener just listens. And then we'll switch roles. So take 30 seconds or so just to set your intention about trying to both Be aware of content and process and maybe have both inner and outer attention.
When I ring the bell, we can start. Okay.
So if the first person can bring the thought to an end, and he can say thank you to your partner. And now, we're, now we'll um, switch roles. And so again, take about 30 seconds to, in a way, set an intention for the person speaking, maybe to remember the thread of the content. And for both of us to, both of us to focus both on content and process, inner and outer, as best we can. So set your intention and I'll ring the bell and we can start another round.
So if, uh, if the speaker can finish up the thoughts and then can say, um, can appreciate each other in whichever, whatever way you want to. And let's actually take just, uh, let's just take two or three minutes, stay in the dyad and just let's, just, now we'll just have a conversation. Anything that you noticed about the process of doing this that might be relevant to what we're looking at. Did you notice anything about the process? And then just take two or three minutes with each other. So let's, let's come back to the whole group. You thank your partner again. Bow to your partner. Alaman left.
<laughs> we just have a we just have a few minutes here near the end and could actually use more time. I'm wondering, is it okay if we go five minutes beyond 11? How many people would that be okay for? And if you if you definitely need to go, just go when you need to, because I think I think that would give it just a would round this off just a little better. So that that helps me some. Um, so any any reflections on what you experienced, please, so Marty. Mm-hmm. And what I said to my partner and what I really feel is that it enabled us to um, start at a much deeper level yeah. in our interaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of almost like the, the field of the group maybe also. Mm-hmm. The intention, the field of the group permitted a certain degree of intimacy. honesty, intimacy, sharing that is not all that typical yes. in daily life. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. How many people felt that? Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Others? Please, did you have? Okay. Please, yeah. Um, and say, let's also say our names so everyone. Diane. Yeah. Um, before I started, I thought that, well, I've done this to some degree. This, yeah. 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 <laughs> and how my mind just took off on these extraneous things constantly and I'm talking about listening. Yeah. <coughs> and <coughs> yeah. So to keep <coughs> juggling that ball. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, and so really no- noticing a lot, huh? Yeah. Really noticing a lot and <coughs> can almost imagine that we could do inner mindfulness practice by ourselves, then we could almost do this something like this for 20, do that for 20 minutes a day with someone else. And it's actually a different, it's a, it's a connected training in a way, wouldn't it be? To, to remember that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Please. And, and say your name. My name is Judy. Yeah. 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 So just so again, I think that that quality of inquiry is this quality of just really noticing. Oh, we have a history, a connection, and kind of like Marty was saying, we started at a little deeper place, you know, or we have resources that are there because of that connection. And so I think in in working with relationships, it's really important to actually notice in a given relationship what are the resources that are there. Sometimes they're rather few, you know, or it's it's a thin, or we can't presume intimacy, or, or you know, and so forth. So, I think just be just um, for right now. I think what I'm especially wanting to invite in the next two weeks, if we how many how many people would like to explore this. Come back next time because I would too. <laughs> and so, um, so it's really an invitation to notice. We can just—it's not so much to change or to have an agenda, but just that quality of mindfulness. Just even carry a pad with you to work where you 
just, just make notations, just study. You don't have to decide whether it's good or bad, but just to noticing things like that, really, really important. Please, Elizabeth. Um, Her name's Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or me speaking alone and then having her listen that I didn't get any feedback at the beginning. And it was it was actually good because it allowed my train of thought to get to a point where I was actually um, creating ways to solve my relationship issues. Yeah. So it was really a, a, a good exercise. Yeah. So I actually came up with a couple of ways that I'm going to really... You're going to do it. <laughs> Tell the person you're talking to, don't give me feedback for four minutes. <laughs> it was creating that space, really, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Please, yeah. I was talking after you and, talked about... And your name? Oh, sorry, Judy. Judy again, um, okay. The fact that Barbara and I are here together, or we are friends, yeah. is an where we're, our intentions are on the same page, and yeah. how frustrating it is for me that my loved one, or my husband particularly, is not on this page, and how difficult it is to practice intention with someone who doesn't intend to practice intention. Yeah, yeah. Or, or doesn't know, doesn't have that. At the present moment. At the present moment. Yeah. And the other thing that I was so struck with is the the inability that I have to be at peace with what is coexisting with the desire to change it. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's so, impossible for me at this point. Yeah. Right yeah. Mm-hmm. So Not to go into the yeah. drama or the anger or the frustration of it, just to be yeah. accepting of it. And so there's a lot there, Judy, in what you said. <laughs> um, and, and that's where we can use the mindfulness practice has that kind of quality of mercy that Okay, for this 45 minutes, we are suspending the action agenda, mm-hmm. right? And we are just looking. And there's something really freeing about that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and as you were saying, there's also a certain, there's a, when we look at some of this, there, there's a lot of poignancy. Because some things are, there's some sadness or some sense of, um, it's not how we'd uh, like it to be, mm-hmm. you know, so... So that's, that's where the, uh, that, the heart qualities come in, that quality of compassion and the metta, the loving kindness to really um, remember, to remember that peace, you know. So maybe the um, last comment, Lynn, or Denise, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So thank thank you. It's um, so again a lot there, and it's it's that uh, we're kind of naming some of the subtleties of this. We might call the dyadic presence, you know, of having of tuning in in some way, and having the and having a lot of capacities capacities to again some of which we are supported by our meditation the capacity to watch maybe uh, what um, our mind says I should do and have that overridden, uh, as it were, by the wisdom which says, I'm sensing some, something that needs some space, right? And, and that's, that's um, I mean, I think th- these are getting into some of the capacities and subtleties of taking relationship as spiritual practice. And I think they're very related to what we train with individually, but it's just that... Uh, naming of it. So, um, you know, so it's something we each can experiment with. Okay. And it comes out of mindfulness, doesn't it? You know, if, we, if you're an automatic pilot, you're probably not going to go do that, right? Yeah. Right. And, but if you're mindful and you t- you're tuning in to some, some other wisdom quality that, has, that, for whatever reason, has this sense that it might be good to leave space. And that, that takes some quietness of oneself to really go there that, for most of us, doesn't it? And so, um, yeah, so this is a rich area. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what I'd like, I'd love to invite is um, knowing that we've just really had a beginning description of some of the capacities that are important. I'd like to invite us just really to explore for the next two weeks this whole territory. It's a big territory, uh, but just do that in your own way, you know. And if you want to take some notes, um, that'd be great, and bring them back. But if you, but particularly, I, I think you know, if if there's, um, you know, if there's, if you want to simplify, if it seems like when the guidance of explore this is too general and you want to make it more precise, then I might, you might really uh, work with some of those six areas. And particularly, maybe just one or two of them that seem important. It might be to remember the ethical guidelines every day. That would be helpful. Or to remember that in a relationship. Or it might be to be in a situation and really try to listen to the other person and listen to yourself. And just all you do is that. All you do is focus on that, which is, that's all. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, so does that, does that help a little bit in terms of making it, you know, so just really just find, I would say find the one or two things that resonate with you for the next period of time. And if you want to do more, that's fine, but just at least one, minimally one or two. And it might, again, might be listening, uh, trying to see if you can listen inside at the same time that you listen outside in some of your interactions at work. And we'll uh, we'll compare notes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're welcome. It's it's exciting, actually, isn't it? Thank thank you, Denise. It's really um, you can see how it opens up and connects with the mindfulness practice, right? And it opens up and starts to really um, go in directions which can really are actually really crucial for our daily lives, and yet is really in the spirit of mindfulness and all of what we do when we just sit silently. So, um, 
So let's just sit quietly for 30 seconds or so to finish. Letting what's been helpful or your intentions for the next uh, two weeks on this be present. Knowing that we practice, not just for ourselves, but also for others, we dedicate the fruits of our time together for the benefit of all beings. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.